0: So let's imagine a future where we power our homes, our cars, our buildings, and our industry with clean electricity, primarily from wind, water, and solar. So it turns out if we want this future grid, we actually have to plan for it today. And how we plan really matters if we want a clean, reliable, and affordable grid. And how we plan really has to meet, rise to meet the challenges of the day because things are getting more complex and trickier as we still have a lot of carbon in the atmosphere. So we're moving from a system with just a few large dispatchable generators to a much more complex grid with weather dependent generation, wind and solar, and some of which are coupled with batteries. And it's not just our generation that's changing. We now have flexible demand with smart thermostats, flexible EV charging. So luckily we have amazing computing capabilities uh, at our fingertips, and we're developing new models that are allow us to effectively plan for the power system of tomorrow. So, but what are these models? So we create computer representations of our electric grid, which allows us to simulate how the grid operates, and calculates the economics, tests the reliability of the system under thousands of potential future scenarios. These models are the primary tools that utilities use to plan the grid. But it's not just utilities that use these models. We want lots of voices and perspective in our planning process. It turns out that robust planning requires lots of perspectives. So we want these models to be open and accessible so many different stakeholders can help develop future scenarios and really pressure test the way we plan Because we're going to ask a lot of our future grid. We don't need it just to be clean. We need it for so many things, for transport, to heat and cool our buildings, for industry. And we're going to need it to help us survive extreme temperatures and weather. We need it to be affordable. And to get all of these things, we're going to need to have an open and transparent modeling to allow multiple perspectives into the planning process. That's how. We're going to get the future grid that we want
1: we started in hard times to bring us all in into the laughter through thick and through thin for public power enthusiasts
2: without and within roll on enthusiasts roll i'm paul dockery
3: a co-host of public power underground and senior manager of energy resource strategy and planning for seattle city light
1: and I'm Dr. Almaz Nagesh, the co host of Public Power Underground, macro energy system researcher, and power planner for Tacoma Power.
3: Joining Almaz and I I's this week's celebrity guest stars are Rick O'Connell and Anna Summer.
1: Anna Summer is a principal at Energy Futures Group, a clean energy consulting firm headquartered in Hinesburg, Vermont. Anna has nearly 20 years experience working on a variety of energy planning related issues with a primary focus uh, on all aspects of integrated resource planning, including all of the key words like capacity expansion and production cost simulation, scenario and sensitivity construction, modeling of supply and demand side resources, um, and review and critique of Forecast inputs. That is an awful lot. Welcome, Anna.
2: Thank you. the The description of my background, I think, is really kind of indicative of how broad integrated resource planning is. It really covers a lot of different topics, and so I'm not unique in that regard. You know, we are all jack of all trades and hopefully masters of some. Right? Yeah, <laughs>
3: masters of some. I'm right? sure
2: both of you <laughs> can relate to that as being power system planners yourselves. Um, yes, so it's uh yeah, it's not the complexity has not decreased as the years have gone gone on for sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, and the breadth of topic only gets wider as we go. Yeah. Uh, joining Almaz, Anna, and I is Rick O'Connell. Rick is the executive director of GridLab. GridLab provides advocates engaging in electric proceedings and rulemakings with the best technical expertise and tools necessary to present credible arguments and testimony to regulators and other policymakers to advance clean energy transitions that preserve system reliability. It's a great promo that I got off your webpage. It's a a, a well-articulated mission. Uh, Rick is a champion of -of state-of-the-art open-source planning models, including commissioning the GridPath RA Toolkit, which was developed by the Northwest's own Elaine Hart and Anna Maliva. Welcome, Rick.
0: Oh, thank you, Paul. That was very generous introduction. Um, super glad to be here. Um, thrilled to be here with Anna and both of you. Um, and one little tidbit, I guess I'll add a little tidbit of my background. Uh, you know, I've been doing clean energy work for 20 years, but before that I actually uh, worked in computer software, and so I have a specific and deep interest in, in modeling and, and software. So it's a, it's a per- this, is, this, this topic is like an intersection of, of my old career and my new career. So excited to be here.
3: And you mentioned in your opening monologue, this need for computational uh, sophistication in our power planning, right? We have new tools, we could do thousands of these things and the computational and computer science
0: aspects, like super fascinating. Did I get that right from your yeah. monologue? Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right, and I think there's a, you know, a a lot to dig into just sort of in the complexity. And Anna knows all this sort of stuff, you know, linear programming versus. uh, So it's 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 definitely interesting, and it's great. It's great that as our power system is getting more complex, the tools that we have to model it are also getting more complex. So it's it's great that we have expanding computing power.
3: Yeah, in this breadth of kind of technical expertise, Anna, what, what, where is the computer science and the uh, modeling aspect and programming aspect in your breadth of experience? How deep and how uh, wide is that in your experience?
2: Um, it, it's, it's really important, and I wish that I had the background that Rick does because it would probably be easier to do my job if I, if I had it, but I have zero background in computer science and computer <laughs> programming and uh, everything I've learned has been a hazard of the job, so to speak. Um, but I think understanding, you know, some of those intricacies of how models work and um, how their optimization algorithms are structured is actually really important and helps you understand some of the results that you get from the models. And that's certainly one of the things that we try to focus on at, at EFG is, how do how do these models work? How do the settings, you know, apply to the optimization? and um, what are the trade-offs between different modeling platforms? Because there certainly seems to be some. Um, that's not to say that any model is perfect, but sometimes having an understanding of the the drawbacks can really help you understand what your model can and cannot tell you.
3: Knowing what you're capable of doing is a really important part of knowing what your model is up to. Yes. Amaz, you ready to get into it? Or you, you got some?
1: No, I am ready.
3: Let's no do burning it.
1: questions here.
3: On Public Power Underground, we talk about the electric utility enthusiasm trifecta of electrification, markets, and people. On today's episode, we're t- talking about using industry best practices to plan for an electrified grid. We'll talk about planning for extremes, os- open-source models, best-in-class computational techniques. Amaz will ask an unscripted question in a segment we call Amaz's Insightful Question of the Week. And then we'll clo- close it out with closing thoughts from Anna Sommer. When we get back from a quick word from our presenting sponsor, we're going to start this all off with a game. The presenting sponsor of Public Power Underground is the Energy Authority. The Energy Authority is a nonprofit company that specializes in portfolio management and prides itself on leading communities through today's energy transformation. Owned by public power entities, TEA is more than just adjacent. They're as underground as it gets. TEA is on a mission to help clients maximize the value of their assets while meeting their power supply goals. By providing expertise in energy trading, advanced analytics, advisory, and renewable solutions, TEA equips public power utilities with access to state-of-the-art resources and technology systems so they can respond competitively in the changing energy markets. With over 60 other... Public power utilities proudly partnering with TEA to tackle their energy future. It's time for you to consider breaking ground too. Let TEA help you navigate the uncertain future of our industry by visiting teainc.org to learn more. That's teainc.org to learn more today. As foreshadowed, we're starting this week off with a game-adjacent topic I'm calling Explain Power Planning to a Five-Year-Old. Amaz, I'll hand it off to you to explain the game.
1: All right, so... Uh, we obviously know that being able to explain something is, is important, um, so translating super complex topics in a way that a five-year-old can understand is actually um, what we might consider the standard of excellence for industry expertise. Like, if you're an expert, you can do that quite well um at least we're we're claiming that prior to joining the power industry i was a teacher i don't know if you all know that um so i'm going to be the sole judge of excellence of your explanations um we're talking power planning today so you can explain power planning uh to paul and myself like we're five-year-olds that's the game uh and anna we'll start with you okay (laughs) thanks
2: um i thought For sure, I had an upper hand against Rick in this game because I actually have a five-year-old, but she (laughs) is not interested in talking about power system planning at all. (laughs) And I could not figure out how to relate it to either Princesses or Lego Ninjago, which are her two primary interests. So (laughs) I'll just have to imagine that I'm talking to her about this. Um, So what I I guess what I would say is that when we go camping, we use a a solar powered lamp um, in the evenings to read by. And uh, solar power is one way in which we can produce electricity. And electricity is another form of energy, just like the energy um, that we use to power our car when we make a campfire. That's also a form of energy. And uh, that lantern is kind of similar to our electric power system in the sense that uh, there's a mechanism to produce energy, and then something that uses that energy. And if you imagine that um, all of the, the lines, the power lines that we see around our house, around our neighborhood, are um, those systems in that lantern sort of amplified and magn- multiplied. Um, uh, that's how our electric power system works. And so my job is to figure out where those things go, what kinds of mechanisms we use to produce power, um, how much power people will consume, um, and what the cost of that looks like. I think that's, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Okay.
3: Uh- I love the i love the like camping an- analogy for because I, my family and i actually just spent one day camping um out at the oregon coast and like the the decisions you have to make going into camping around what you're going to take mm-hmm. how much you're going to take um whether you're going to get the really small backpacks or get the bigger ones that are more comfy how many stuffed animals you're going to take are all really <laughs> important questions that a five-year-old will pick up on i would say anna how many stuffed animals you're going to take camping may be the way to translate this to your five-year-old because it is a critical question we all have to answer around the constraints. I love that analogy. Thank you, Anna. I,
2: I, I, that's a that's good advice, Paul. Though for our family, it wouldn't be stuffed animals; it would be treasures. So they have like oh. little boxes full of random things, like old keys or rocks or things like that that they want to bring. because um, yes. you know it's important to have treasures when you're camping.
3: <laughs> Absolutely, it's a, it's critical to have your Treasures with when you go camping.
1: All right, great job, Anna. Rick, can you top that? Yeah, I think it's an unfair advantage that uh, Anna actually has a
0: five-year-old. So I have an eight and a ten-year-old daughter, and part of the joy being a parent is you completely forget everything that comes before. Because I think you know your your brain you wouldn't be able to go forward if you dwelled in that period of pain. So it's been a long time since I've had five-year-old. but I'm gonna go with the analogy of you know explaining to my what's my five year old daughter that we live in a town right and and maybe people want to move to our town or or maybe so we need new houses for the people who are moving to our town and maybe some people's houses are old and they need they need new their house needs to be replaced um so we they may need new houses, so we wanna think about what kind of houses we want in our town, you know, what kind of houses we should build, build, you know, and we can't just build these houses overnight, right? It takes time to build a new house. So we want to think about it beforehand, you know, and we want our new houses to be better. We want them to be more efficient, maybe use less resources. Um, we want them to be cleaner. Maybe we want different kinds of houses. We want apartment buildings. We want single family homes. Um, And so that's sort of what we do when we plan the electricity system. We kind of think about, we have to think about it well in advance. We have to think about, okay, how are we going to have enough electricity to run all the things that we need? Um, You know, we really want to have, we, and we got to, we got to kind of plan ahead. Uh, Otherwise we're not going to have enough electricity when we need it. Just like if we don't plan ahead for housing, um, we don't, we won't have enough houses. I think this is a little bit salient because we, we actually do have like a major housing problem, especially in the West Coast. Um, so I think it's something that like our our kids definitely understand, um, especially living here. That's that's so that's my that's my entry in the planning planning uh, power of system planning for a five year old.
1: Uh, all right, you, you know. Uh, you just just reminded me. So the last, I think it was Destiny that we talked to last. Sort of touched on that housing and energy nexus. That has to be the focus of one of these uh, uh, one of these days, Paul. But, drum roll. I have to say, um, if I were a five-year-old. I would have to go with Rick, but that said, so yes, Rick is the winner. Like I would understand that if I was a five-year-old. I think Anna's five-year-olds are gonna be smarter than everybody else because she's talking (laughs) big words and my father used to always say like, you know, don't use baby words with kids because then they'll use regular words and then they'll have good vocabularies. And so Anna's kid's gonna be smarter. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. Oh, well, the other day, uh, my daughter said that she was trying to manipulate something. And so we're no. still working
1: with what we do you for Mechanism. And I was like, mechanism, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
3: do. I think these two analogies were really well, lays really good foundation. And as Almaz mentioned, you know, we talked to uh, Professor Nock about how the housing energy nexus. So, I mean, planning for housing, planning for communities is part of planning for the energy, good part of this integrated planning. I'll go back to the camping though, because I actually think it's a really. I may start using it as a way to communicate power planning, just because for the that that Northwest group of people that we tend to talk to, the experience of having to plan for like what you actually need or planning around, you know, if you're glamping, you're the glamping paradigm of camping versus the quote unquote bare minimum. Uh, so part of the backstory with my family going camping is we we're only going for one day. So my wife and I were like, we're only going to pack the bare minimum. And our four year old was uh, woke up crying that morning. Cause he didn't want to do the bare minimum for camping. Um, and, and I think there is like, there, there's a lot of discussion there around the input from your community on what your expectation is for the power system of the future. So yeah. I, I think this lays good, 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 good groundwork. Do you, play, do you pack for the bare minimum or are you a glamper, Anna?
2: Uh, somewhere in between and probably more toward the minimum because we tend to canoe camps. You have to get everything in the canoe. In
3: the oh, yes, canoe camping, another. What's canoe camping in a power system? Is that like islands, planning a grid for an island community?
2: My yeah, thing. definitely, because you uh, you bring the bare minimum of water and then you filter your own. So there's no no interconnections to anywhere else, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm seeing how this analogy is working. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, Rick, you, I'm actually taking my family on a two-week canoe trip starting on Saturday. So this is like incredibly salient.
2: Oh, yeah. fascinating. <laughs> yeah,
3: and you know, Rick, now you can just you can use some of your power planning algorithms to then <laughs> communicate the optimal packing strategy for your camping trip. I think this is
0: uh, this is. This is
3: the deep dive everyone was hoping for when they tuned into Public Power Underground this week. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Capacity planning for canoe camping.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, that laid, I think, a good groundwork for discussing power planning. But the focus of this episode are industry best practices. I've asked each of you, including Amaz, to bring your three best practices to talk about. Um, We may not get into all of them, so I'm hoping you all wrote them in a way we can just at the end uh, give a one-sentence synthesis if we miss it otherwise. I've got a list from conversations we've had before and, and other topics that I'll check off your topics as we go or add to ask questions about later on. So I'll start with you, Anna. What is the top of your list for industry best practices uh, that you'd like to start the conversation with?
2: Um, I'll start off with um, a stakeholder process. Believe it or not, that is actually not always part of integrated resource planning. It's certainly become much more common over the past few years, but there are still some utilities that do not conduct a stakeholder process as part of their IRP work. And the reason I think that's so important is because um, we're definitely moving from this paradigm of um, power system planning being sort of the domain of technical people who were just, you know, running models or doing other sorts of analytical um, calculations to one that's uh, very much informed by community preferences and by the um, implications of those power systems on the communities that um, are either served by them or where those power plants are located. And um, it's, you know, certainly, easy to, to think that um, those technicians who have worked in, in integrated resource planning for many decades um, have all the knowledge that they need to do resource planning, but the reality is that uh, involving these communities is very important and is really the only way that we're going to get buy-in into energy transition. Um, so I, I think that's a, a really key best practice for any, um, a, any IRP effort.
3: And we previewed this a little bit earlier, but one of the Topics we covered with Professor Nock was community involvement and ways to, what, what did we call it, Amaz? It was like, uh, uh, oh, there was a, a turn of phrase that she had for being, uh, making sure your inputs were repeatable and, and vigorously defendable and having the social sciences aspect of getting a survey result to be replicable within a model and repeatable was it do you remember Amaz the turn yeah, of phrase
1: it's at the tip of my tongue but nope i can't remember it
3: same with me go listen to the episode uh, uh listeners and we'll we'll you'll you'll remember it. um amaz any uh on the stakeholder process any best practices you you think around this that you've seen
1: you know what so here's the thing i i, I don't know Anna's psychic because that was number 1 on my list was was also the stakeholder <laughs> process but not so much just Having the stakeholder process, but knowing who your stakeholders are, um, mm-hmm. because I don't—that's that's something that I that I feel like I could do better at um, in terms of the IRP planning group, uh, stakeholder pro- process. So I. I noticed that it's like really hard sometimes to get some, uh, community advocates that that I would love to be part of the process in the process, and so I actually went to this um, to a, a, a conference where you know the, this, these groups of people were, were sort of you know talking best practice or whatever, and I went and I asked them I was like, why is it so hard for me to get you to come to the IRP stakeholder meetings? And she literally says, oh i hate the irp meetings they're so long and boring and technical like and and so like as a former teacher like i should have known that right that you you really have to know your audience and speak to your audience just like right now we were talking about you know explaining power systems to a five-year-old you have to be able to know not every you know not every stakeholder is a five-year-old sometimes you you know you just you just really have to change the way you, um, you, you, we have these meetings. So that's, that's my best practice right there. Make it, make it meaningful to the stakeholders.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, I, sh- I should have qualified my, what I said by saying uh, a high quality or an effective stakeholder process. We <laughs> <laughs> don't want to have meetings just for the sake of meetings.
1: And I, I am constantly trying to figure out how to do that better. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So, well, kudos to you. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not aware of, you know, really any utility that reaches out to potential stakeholders. I think that's great. I mean, that that's uh, certainly one way that would um, encourage people to participate if they feel like they're wanted, right? Um, so I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah.
3: Rick, where was the stakeholder yeah. process on your list? Was it on your list of the top three?
0: It was not on my list. Um, and so I kudos to, you know, I didn't, I sort of jumped, you know, that's like that, whatever, engineer in me, right? I jumped straight to the, I jumped straight to the answers or the, the you know, the, the process, but I totally agree. I totally agree. And maybe I can tag team by saying what was on my list, I think follows nicely from the stakeholder process, which is really transparency. So like transparency is just like very, very important for me. And that's, I think having a transparent process means the stakeholders have visibility into what's happening, and it's not just this black box. And and so being transparent about you know the assumptions you're making, the data sources you're using, you know, kind of the, your your forecasts that you're using, um, you know, clearly describing. You know, I think it goes a little bit also into this, like what making it meaningful, like being able to clearly describe what you're doing, your scenarios and the assumptions. So. Your stakeholders can understand what you're doing, as opposed to sort of shrouding it in gobbledygook and jargon. Um, so, yeah, I would say transparency is a really key, key kind of, I don't know, companion to the stakeholder process.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's you mentioned. I think the data sources, the forecast inputs. Um, does the open source model uh, have a? Is that part of transparency, or is that elsewhere yeah. on your list?
0: no that's absolutely right there too and yeah sorry i just forgot to mention it it's like <laughs> no champion. absolutely you champion and that's, of open source model right exactly and that's where open source is so important right i mean so you're not just using a uh you know maybe you're not using a commercial model that is you know is a black box and that you know that commercial model is actually really you know there's licensing restrictions and it, you know the the stakeholders can't even get access to it, even if maybe even if they wanted to get access to it, you know, even if they wanted to pay the license fee, maybe they wouldn't even be allowed to do it. Um, so whereas open source means that anybody can look and see what the, what's the code is doing, anybody can run it themselves. Um, so this is where I think open source, having open source models really adds to the transparency.
3: Uh, Anna, it was transparency and the, the data sharing, was that on your list at all of best practices?
2: It was. It was number two, yeah. Number and two. Yeah. So, I. yeah, like Rick, I I think that that's super important um, and really sort of critical to a meaningful stakeholder process and a meaningful IRP process. Um, the, the thing I would add on to what Rick said, and, and Rick has really been a champion for this too, which is um, intervener access to the models the utilities are using. Uh, so we've had some success in... Um, getting access to the same platforms that the utilities are using the same databases that we can make really targeted changes and show, okay, you know, if we disagree with X, Y, and Z assumptions and you change those, what impact does that have on the modeling result? Um, I think that's really um, uh, not just useful, but also sort of, um, you know, creates a good record for the utility commission because then you're comparing things on sort of an apples-to-apples basis. Um, one thing that I want to say about that, too, is that um, the through, throughout many different aspects of integrated resource planning, and, and we've talked at or hinted at this a little bit earlier in the conversation, you know, the sort of social science or the the, the human relations aspect of IRP is really important, and this is certainly one way in which that is rep- important. There are some um, software vendors and model vendors who are very easy to work with, and they want to make sure that they're um, their platform is available for all stakeholders to use. They want their tool to be access accessible to everyone, and there's some that are not, and they view themselves as essentially champions of the utility, and not willing to work with interveners. And I think that's a really important aspect of transparency: is how do how does that um, how does sort of the willingness or the 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 ease of facilitation of data and tools, you know, influence the the process and influence the transparency of the process. So, um, yeah, I completely agree with, with everything that Rick said and just wanted to add on, you know, this, this, this sort of the behind the scenes, I guess, if you will, um, efforts around transparency and accessibility for the actual tools that are being used to develop the IRP are also very important.
3: Yeah, we are we are bros for um, for power planning, we're bros for best practices. So we aren't going to shame the people who don't have a tool. You know, we are going to openly shame them. But we can do a shout out for what is like, who are the utilities that do this well? Or what is the software vendor that makes this really easy? You can give a shout out to them, even though they aren't sponsors. But I think it is helpful to like celebrate successes and celebrate best practices.
2: I agree. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I don't. I'm not here to to shame anyone at all. Um, I, I think it's always better to talk about the the positives and the successes that we have. Um, we've had really good experience licensing Servan from the um, They've been very helpful and very um, very interested in making sure there's a level playing field for all all parties. Um, Another vendor that we really like working with is Anchor Power Solutions. They they also have a similar approach that their tools should be sort of objective and available for all. Um, so there's a yeah there's a variety of folks out there that I think are are really good to work
1: with. You know when when I first started at Tacoma Power, one of the first projects that was put on was working um, you know, with. PGP group of other utilities um, with E3 um, uh, and, and looking at different uh, you know scenarios of of our future. This was before CETA and we had our 100% clean scenarios. We were looking at all these different pathways, um, and E3 had a model that they had developed. Um, Resolve was the name of it, but it was open source because it was developed for California and what they just dis- they they required that the model be open source um, and for 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 their modeling purposes. And so we actually benefited from that after we were done like with uh, with the, the the work that we had done with PGP or with I'm sorry with with E3, we then took that model we were able to dig in and and make changes and and do other scenarios and um, uh, yeah was a big fan of, of e3's uh, open source t- uh, tool early on when I first started at Tacoma. Cool, that's great.
3: One of the things I, I really like about open source and using like making sure the computational techniques that we're using in power planning are available is because you sometimes encode choices within your algorithmic technique for choosing optimal resources and making sure you um you you make the covert overt and like make sure your the policy choices that you have encoded um, by the computational technique or at least like available to be uh, discussed is really important. And that's part of what open source uh, techniques can help do if you have great experts to help unpack all that code for you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, anything else you'd like to add, Rick, before we, we we see who else has another thing on their list?
0: Yeah, no, I think you made a really great point. I mean, there's like, the, there's a huge long history of, of you know, Secret things being stuck in models to to limit their behavior that people only discover you know many years later um, and and so it's it's just great having that transparency and not just having this black box where it sort of spits out an answer and then you find out, oh well, it spit out that answer because somebody you know somebody artificially limited the the amount of solar that could be added every year or something like that. so I, I think it's great to have that transparency hundred percent agree.
3: And but I, did, I failed to ask you this. Was no, the transparency thing number one on your list or where on the list was it?
0: Oh, well, you know, in the spirit of openness, I hadn't actually I hadn't ranked my list. I had three things and oh. I don't I don't I don't know if I I don't know if I'd say one is more important than the other
3: okay well that's fair that's fair i'm i appreciate the openness and the honesty on that um can anna can you give us another thing on your list i think i have you as having stakeholders as one the transparency is two what was your third
2: my third uh, and this i don't think will surprise anyone is is reliability Um, and i think it's important to think about reliability in multiple different forms so it's you know, we, we oftentimes if, you know, we were at a conference together and having this conversation and I said, reliability modeling, you'd think serve M or resolve, right? And that's certainly one aspect of it. Um, but I think there's a, a few things that um, I uh, I think about or, or that are sort of on my, my mind when we talk about this in regulatory settings. One is that, um, those models are looking at just at bulk level, you know, reliability, essentially energy adequacy at the bulk level, right? And oftentimes they are concerned almost entirely with supply-side resources. So we're looking at um, how, uh, ideally, we're looking at how a load and um, generator performance changes with weather, which is really reduced temperature in most of these models. Um, but we're oftentimes not really thinking about what it is we can do on the load side of things to address reliability, too. And I think this is becoming um, a little more visible or a little more sort of tangible, if you will, um, after some of these extreme events where we've seen load increase very dramatically over a period of several hours. Um, And more and more, to me, one of the key questions around those sorts of events and planning for those events is, what drove load so high? You know, in the winter time, for example, if we're talking about, um, you know, the response to to an extreme uh, uh, ice or, or snow event, uh, you know, you can generally assume that schools are closed and people aren't really going to work unless they live unless they perform some sort of critical service, right? So why is it that when we have um, sort of more limited economic activity do we actually have more load? Is there are there things that we need to do on the residential side, for example, um, that would help people avoid using space heaters? Um, I think those sorts of questions about how we address reliability on the on the load side, not just on the generator side, are really important. And I don't know if anybody who's doing that well. Um, uh, and then the other thing I would add is that, you know, I, I do think that. So, so my, my, my work is almost entirely focused on the sort of bulk level you know, power system planning, but it remains the case that most outages occur at the distribution system. And when we talk about reliability, we almost always forget about the distribution system. And so, I think figuring out how the um, sort of focus on the reliability at the bulk level can impact potential distribution system outages is a, an area where we need to do um, more thinking and, and sort of more more focus. Um so reliability is my third one, but it I guess it's a little bit more broad than um, the manner in which we generally think of reliability as a focus of integrated resource planning.
3: Fascinating topic. I love the, I mean, we need to acknowledge a lot of times that a lot of the outages people actually experience are on the distribution level from just, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, extensions, distribution system outages from fallen trees and stuff like that. Um, And that uh, incorporating that into a model, I think is really helpful and useful. Um, uh, Rick, uh, where did reliability fall? Was it on your list? Is there any adjacent topics uh, on your list that we can pivot to?
0: It wasn't really on my list. Um, I think this is a really interesting one, Anna. I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm going to get scolded for not, you know, saying round trip modeling or uh, <laughs> you know, tie, tie thinking about these sorts of things. So I love that. Um, I love that that Anna included that. I, no, I don't. Um, I I mean, I love her. I, I love the focus on the supply side. That's definitely. I mean, that is. I guess I could tee up. That is one of my um, one of the next thing on my list uh my unordered list is holistic um and so that's really thinking you know planning holistically right so thinking about new loads from the electrification of transport and buildings um bringing in forecasts of distributed energy resources thinking about the supply side. so like how you know like those new loads like how are they going to behave how can they how can they be more flexible um thinking about your neighbors and the transmission system not don't just plan for your little for your little island, think about markets and market interactions. So, really, like this holistic planning, right? Not just, I think, in the past, a lot of power system planners kind of planned for their their balancing authority and you know, sort of planned as if you were an island and and just really focused on the bulk system. um You know, as 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 Anna say, you know, the big the big dispatchable generators. But things are getting you know, things are getting different, and I think we need to be more holistic in our planning. So, I think that. I think that ties on with reliability, but again, I'm I, I'm, I can't believe I didn't put have reliability on my list. I'm I might have to I might have to reorder my list, and you know maybe all should add it.
3: This is the benefit of sharing our uh, you know our lists right. is uh, you know getting great insights from other people. Are there, is there so holistic planning? I think is a topic I would love to do better and think about better. Right when you think about transmission. As part of your power planning, when you think about um, regional resource and regional resource adequacy programs, and how to incorporate that into a utilities' planning threshold, are there anybody you would say do this well? Are there any, you know utilities that do this well today that we could look to as a as someone who's doing best practices?
0: Yeah, I think um, I would have to call out specifically when you're talking about tra- you know bringing transmission planning into the. In, and re- into resource planning. This is something I've been thinking a lot about lately and we're we're actually about to commission a white paper on this exact topic. I would have to say, you know, close, close, to, close to home in the Northwest would be Pacific Core is really, and I think it's because it's a multi-state utility, you know, it spans several Western states. Um, it really has to think about transmission. It has to think about delivery. It has, you know, lots of generators spread over multiple states and loads spread over multiple states. and so. It's always had to think really integrated. I think other utilities that are maybe single, you know, single state, smaller, smaller BA, maybe think less about it. So I would, I'd really want to call out Pacific Or. and I think they've also just, you know, I might, I'm, if we get to my other topic on my list, I might call them out again, um, in, a, in a good, in a good way. So I think, but I, I, but I think this is tough. Like you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. Integrating transmission, being holistic in your planning is not easy. Um, it's, it's quite difficult, uh, and it's hard to do well, and there's not a lot of people doing it well.
3: We could also, I think Idaho Power, uh, another participant in the boardman to having a transmission line, which was, uh, came out of their resource portfolio, their integrated resource plan is probably another one that does that well. Um, I think B2H may be an example of like, when you do this, well, something happens on the transmission side, um would be my hot take of the day. Uh, Almaz, is holistic planning on your list uh, or anything adjacent to reliability or holistic planning on your list that
1: we should touch on? I don't know. No, I don't really think that one came in there. I, I mostly talked about being strategic and making sure that you're asking the right questions in the IRP um so that maybe adjacent um yeah you will be asking about reliability and 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 certain things but uh and, and other things i mean but that that's mostly where where i was going is making sure that you you're asking this the right questions sometimes when i talk, talk to planners they they uh, will say you know at this we've gotten to the point where we, we don't even plan anymore everything's planned for us or like we're everything is dictated and we just have to you know figure the least cost way to do that thing we're not basically planning anymore um but you know there that's one way to think of it but there's always um like um you can be more strategic about asking um deeper questions um it's not just about what you build, but how you build it, and who's impacted, and and like there, there are other strategic ways to to, to think about planning. And so, anyway, that's that's what I was thinking. Is like making sure you are asking the right questions, and not just the ones that you know are the bare minimum.
3: Okay, Agreed. Ask the right questions. That is part of a strategic view, which you could I think it may, matches okay with the holistic oh, planning. Anything yeah. on the holistic planning that you'd want to uh, include? Anna, or, or shout-outs you'd like to give to people who do it well?
2: I, I've been heartened by what feels like a lot of progress in integrated resource planning on a number of fronts and a number of ju- ju- excuse me, jurisdictions over the years. Um, I can't think of anyone who does it kind of perfectly or in a way that I would sort of hold out as a <laughs> gold standard. Um, but there's a couple of things that I think are worth mentioning. Um, one is... Uh, this concept of of round-trip modeling that that Rick talked about before, which is essentially taking plans from your capacity expansion model and subjecting them to reliability modeling. And so you can explicitly test for whether a plan meets a particular set of reliability criteria or not. Um, And the first time I saw that was actually in some work that Public Service Company of New Mexico did. and I think that that approach makes a lot of sense for um, utilities that are operating in in small, you know, regions like balancing authorities. Um, it's harder to make that as meaningful and as sort of reflective of reality in a footprint like an, an RTO. Um, so there's there's some I think limitations to that approach, but um, that's certainly a, a best practice that we recommend, you know when we're looking at IRPs and sort of standalone you know uh, single utility or you know single utility plus some, some munis um, balancing authorities. Uh, and then the, the other is that there's been there's, there's a lot of, I would say, sort of half-hearted or um, just not very robust, looks at other reliability criteria like you know ranking resources based on whether they provide black start capability or not but not reflecting on whether you actually need black start capability and there's a a utility um called aes indiana that did i thought much more robust look at those sorts of questions so looking at things like um, short circuit strength and whether you need black start capability for different types of portfolios and um that reliability analysis was done by a consulting company called quanta Um, and i thought they did a a pretty good job with it Um, and that's the sort of thing that you know if you're getting into more of kind of grid services and and things that you can't explicitly or you'd have a hard time explicitly representing in an irp model um, i feel like that was a good template for how you might think about those things in a way that's more robust and meaningful.
3: Shout out to AES Indiana. Well done. Nice to get them in. Uh, Thank you. And a nod to them. Uh, Rick, we got uh, some key words here, round trip planning and short circuit strength and and reliability planning. Uh, Were those the last one on your list or do you want to talk about some of those buzzwords before you get to your last thing on your list?
0: Well, I think round-trip modeling is awesome because you always want, when you're doing modeling, you always want to come home, right? You don't want it just a one-way bus ticket to, to Schenectady. Um, you want to actually come back. So love round-trip modeling. Um, and for your listeners who aren't aware of what that is, is that's really doing capacity expansion, getting a future portfolio and then running a reliability uh, analysis on that, making sure that future portfolio that your model created is, is reliable. And if it's not, then coming back and and making adjustments to it and and um, sort of iterating until you get get it to where it needs to be. So that's sort of I think a best practice that um, heartily I heartily endorse. And 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 we've done a lot of work at GridLab on on round trip modeling. Um, I guess I, I mean can I can I throw out my final final best practice that I was thinking of? That's
3: where we're going next. Absolutely, please do. All
0: right, so I. I first was going to call it was going to, you know, I. you can tell I'm going for the one word, um, the one word best practices. And so this one started out as complex, but I think sophisticated is maybe a better word. Um, and, you know, so really that and I sort of intimated this earlier, right? Like our, our, our power, our grid is getting more complex. Our power systems are getting more complex. We're relying on weather dependent generation we're relying on storage which is actually quite complex to model in terms of making sure we have you're going to make sure the storage is charged how are you going to get where is that energy going to come from um, you know you've got you know what we call energy limited resources you've got the demand side that we're going to bring in right so we're thinking about not a traditional demand response as well as like more flexible demand like ev charging um, you know how you know sort of load shift shape shimming all these all these things Um, and, and then we also have to really think about weather. So, you know, not only does weather drive our load, but weather also now drives our generation. We've got to, we've got to like sort of have these large weather data sets that have got to be synchronized with load. So I just think this sort of sophistication and complexity is really important. Um, you know, I think we're still, there's, you know, I'm not going to name any names but there's still utilities that are sort of like oh this is this is pretty straightforward we know you know we know what we're doing we can just kind of come up with these portfolios on our own and not really think through but i think that you really need the sophistication now like you you can't really get away with the old way of doing things which was you know put some stuff in a spreadsheet do a load duration curve do some simple calculations and and come up with a portfolio that works like you really need to 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 have a much more sophisticated model. And I think that, that ties into the other things where we think about holistic, right? You know, to bring in all these things, you need sophisticated modeling to bring in all the all the bits of parts and pieces, you know, DERs and then transparency, right? You need to, um, I mean, maybe you want something that's, you know, sophisticated, but it's still, it's got to be able to explain itself well and still be transparent. So that's, yeah, that's my last, that's my last piece.
3: Can you give me some buzzwords around a sophisticated model that does uh, like planning for extreme weather? Well, that's beyond the kind of low duration curve Excel spreadsheet. What are what are the buzzwords for models that are sophisticated enough to deal with it? Um, oh,
2: awesome. get them all.
3: Well, I'll do thirty four seconds. Give me the TikTok rundown of all this, all the
0: buzzwords. If you got oh. them off the top of your head, well, maybe. I- I don't know if I can just like blather them all out, but my favorite one these days is, is you know, coherent weather scenarios, right? So as opposed to kind of Monte Carlo. So, you know, in GridPath are a toolkit that our, our friends helped us to, still, you know, develop. Um, you know, we're actually looking at, you know, weather years that are synchronized with load as opposed to this sort of Monte Carlo where you do these random draws and you kind of look at these random things. We want to actually look at what does real load look like under real weather conditions, you know, on an hour by hour basis? So I think, yeah, coherent um, coherent weather is, that's my kind of favorite buzzword. Coherent word.
3: weather traces, like, is a super, like, that's really important for hydro resources, right? To have that coherency mm-hmm. of water years. Um, so that's, I'll speak to the heart of hydropower planners like me. Um, what yeah. else you got? So what, what did you call that again? Coherent weather?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, just you know, coherent weather. I mean, I think it's a. Um, this is a great band name too. I mean, let's. It's let's also know. a great <laughs> band name. <laughs> what other what other buzzwords do I have? Um, I don't know. That's a. I mean, I think, you know, one one thing that we're just starting to think about. So this is a super cool buzzword because I don't even know what it really means. But is you know, stochastic um, portfolio development. So really using, Ooh, yeah. you know, you know, so like instead of um, so I think that's and it, like that's still, like I said, early days on that. Like we don't really know what that looks like, but I think we're starting to dig into that. So that's definitely a, a that would be a TikTok buzzword, I'm sure. Um, what else? Well, let's I think see. Energy, let's get an- energy adequacy, energy adequacy versus capacity adequacy. That would be my last one.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as we all know, resource adequacy is having energy available in periods of stress. Uh, that's what resource adequacy is, obviously. Um, uh, Anna, can you can you help Rick out with any more buzzwords that, that you you hear or talk about in these circles to, for our TikTok video that we'll string together of you <laughs> saying these things?
2: Um, as we alluded to earlier, uh, Rick and I are horribly uh, social media. Uh, deprived and (laughs) not the the best source for this sort of information. I guess maybe uh, at the risk of sort of of hijacking your question, Paul, um, I would add that I think a lot of these things have trouble being operationalized because we lack data to do them. And rather, what I'd love to see is rather than just sort of throwing up hands to say, okay, who do I need to talk to in order to make that data? happen, you know, um, things like creating the the weather years data, not just backward looking, but also as it relates to climate change, because, you know, we're planning for the these power systems under the assumption that we might have winters like we did in the 1980s. And what if that never happens again? You know, <laughs> um, uh, so the talking to, to folks that we don't normally talk to, you know, who are climate scientists um, about how to um, sort of glean their understandings and put them into the planning that we're doing, I think is really important. And maybe the buzzword for that is just interdisciplinary. You know, that's really, I think mm-hmm. where I see the future of, of IRP going is that you really have to like expand your, your jack-of-all-trades approach to it even further, right? And, and do so in ways that, you know, perhaps haven't occurred to us before. Um, and yeah. so if you can't do it now, like what are the steps that you need to take in order to be able to do it in the future? Um, yeah,
0: yeah ab- absolutely. I mean, I just want to tag on and just say, you know, GridLab started working with Dr. Justin Sharp, who's a well-known meteorologist also based in the Pacific Northwest, um, specifically for this reason, right? To get a real mm-hmm. you know, meteorologist take on power system planning and making sure that we're using the best data sets. And we're currently advocating Um, pretty forcefully that the DOE needs to get us better weather data because we just don't right now we, the weather data we have, the weather data sets aren't that great, and they're not that deep, they're not that long. Mm -hmm. um, And we just, we need better data. So yeah, definitely double click on what Anna is saying around uh, data sources.
2: Yeah. And imagine if the Dukes and the AEPs of the country were on DOE's door saying, hey, can you create this data for us? You know, I think think there's that again, that sort of human element of, you know, what is it that we prioritize sort of leads to what it is that we we analyze and we focus on.
3: Um, Amaz, so we've got the three top three from Anna, top three from Rick. What what else is on your list? Anything that they highlighted that's also on your list?
1: You know what? So I'm going to be a little bit on the opposite end of the spectrum as Rick. So Rick started off saying he was first thinking complex, but then went to sophisticated. And I actually think the word is sophisticated because I was first on on the simple side. (laughs) Uh, So I was talking to a a former colleague of mine who um, reminded me of this Einstein quote that like everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. Um, and, And that's, that's, yeah, like uh, um, an ideal in, in models, like you don't want it so complex that, um, and I'm I'm pretty sure you all, the two of you have had this experience where you make one change in the model and you don't recognize that they're like all of these different domino effects that has something to do way down and, and you don't, you run your model and you get this unexpected result, but you just like, they're so complex, you don't know how one thing you're changing here is making a, a difference somewhere else. Um, in an unanticipated way. And so to the extent that you can keep those models simple while still um, uh, managing to model the complexity of the system, I think that's sophistication. So I'm going to change my 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 answer, answer, which was simple, and make it sophisticated. So um, Rick has, has converted Love. me to sophisticated.
3: <laughs> Love it. Well, I i will follow you almaz and probably bring you back just a little bit explainable is what i would interpret what you're talking about right it's not really that it be sophisticated or it be simple but ultimately we have to make this transparent which means we have to be able to explain it to to michael scott which is the five-year-old test yeah classic meme from michael scott it's can you explain this to me like i'm five years old um and we if we're going to try to get Nicole Kellner to do a watercolor about any of our topics, we need to be able to communicate it in a way it's entertaining to a five-year-old. Um, and that to me is the heart of like what we're trying to do in the stakeholder process, in the transparency of open source model. It's making sure your your computations are explainable and your results can be mapped to the community involvement, so that they can see when you've when they provided their input how that can get mapped to the output in a reasonable and rational way. Ultimately, that's what we need to do. How's that for a nice closeout of this segment?
1: Well done, Paul.
3: Nailed (laughs) Nailed it. We We landed the segment. We landed the segment and tied it to the first one, which is perfect. We're taking a quick break. And when we come back, we'll close out the episode with Almaz's insightful question of the week, followed by Anna's closing thoughts. Almaz, um, did you know nuclear energy is America's largest source of climate-friendly power? Is that a thing you knew?
1: I did not know that. I would have said hydro. Um,
3: I, okay. Well, nuclear is probably in more parts of the country, probably, than hydro. Hydro is very river specific. I think. Yeah,
1: I'm 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 very focused on the Northwest. In yeah, America, you're probably that. right. Yes,
3: nuclear. Yeah. Sounds right. Love that about you. Okay. In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. And Energy Northwest, our friends at Energy Northwest, is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Energy Northwest' mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. Energy Northwest is proudly advancing the Northwest clean energy future. To learn more, do you know wanna do you want to know how to learn more, Amaz?
1: Yeah, give me the info. I need to know more.
3: Okay. okay. Let's let's learn more. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit their website at energy-northwest.com. That's energy northwestcom up next is a today i learned segment or til uh for those online i call in almaz's insightful question of the week where almaz asks our guests uh unfiltered unscripted and occasionally unfair questions take it away almaz
1: okay um I'm actually making this one unfair. I feel like in recent in recent episodes, I've been a little less unfair. This one's truly unfair, except maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah, no, it's probably unfair because this anyway. What do you all see might be the role for AI in long term planning?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, I think AI is going to have a role. AI may actually have a really interesting role in. And like just what you were talking about earlier, Almaz and Paul, like sort of the explainability, like being able to take, you know, and when, and if you think about what AI does now, like a large language model, right? It takes an enormous amount of data, and you sort of you ask ChatGPT, you know, summarize the one thousand page FERC Order twenty twenty three for me in you know seven bullet points, um, and make it sound like a Shakespearean sonnet. So <laughs> maybe maybe we can do the same thing. Um, with power system plans, right? You know, sort of, you know, AI is going to be able to take the, be able you know, make the charts. It's going to be able to do the summaries of the scenarios. I um, mean, we even may, we even maybe use AI to sort of pressure test. Like we were talking about that sophistication and complexity, you know, can AI do run some of that, some, to do some of that work for us? Um, I definitely think there's a role for AI. I mean, it, this is, this is like, but, you know, especially computer modeling, the modeling part of power system planning is, you know, obviously done by computer models. So it's extremely adjacent.
3: I love that answer before, Anna, you take over. One of the, one of the really powerful applications of these language learning model is providing them with code and having them explain to you. You know, a computer explained to you, a human, in human words, what the, program does. And I think that could be a really powerful way to translate these open source models that we all agree is a really good best practice um, into words that a non-programmer can understand is like a really powerful, not just the, not just I submitted a PowerPoint, but to talk about, hey, what are the assumptions that this program makes around this aspect in my words? Here's the code. Um, to decode, to decode what's encoded. I love that. That's great. Thank you, Rick. And you're up next on the on for a question. I'm not. I don't want to give you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No, I thought Rick's answer was great. it first. Um, uh, and it makes a lot of sense that 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 AI could potentially do that. Um, I guess my response uh, may re- may reveal my ignorance about artificial intelligence, but. Um, I wonder if there's some way for it to do some scripting um, for some of the modeling that we do. Uh, if you, if there's some way to to sort of seed the model with enough understanding of these platforms that it could actually, um, you know, set up some of the the inputs or the changes that we oftentimes have to do manually or set up in Excel or you know, depending on the on the software package that we're using. Um, that's the that's the first thing that comes to mind
1: so not not explain the code but write the code itself
2: yeah it's not the code so much as the just the, um, yeah. yeah yeah the the inputs you know um, because uh, you know oftentimes like we have one model that we've used before and you have to input the costs in dollar per megawatt week, right? So like, <laughs> What if you could say you could say like just translate these costs into that you know <laughs> unit um, instead of having to write out the Excel um, formula yourself to do it. Um, so that's sort of yeah. you know basic level scripting.
1: Do you all think that one day we'll be able to? Anyway, are, are any of you Star Trek fans and you like to talk of to the computer? Oh, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the day when we talk to our our models?
0: Yeah, I was just I was just gonna say I was gonna say, hey Siri, plan me a power system for <laughs> the, you know Tacoma Power, VA for 2023. Uh, make sure it gets to 90% clean, carbon free by then.
1: Then we'll all be out of jobs.
3: <laughs> uh, but there'll still be the stakeholder input process that will take a lot of emotional understanding to be able to translate these things into. Mm-hmm. So the social sciences probably will be uh sustaining. I don't know that that my job will be though almost to your point. Oh, yeah. um, I'm going to ask you actually the same thing. Do you is there a AI application for power planning in your mind? I'm asking you your own unfair question. You
1: know, so that was I I've i wondered if if uh, if we can use AI to explain what's going to happen. Like, if I do this particular thing, make this ad- a particular adjustment in the model, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know that unless I run the model. And and I, I, what I wish I could ask, you know, what's going to happen? Because sometimes I don't even know that something's happened because I don't check every last output. And you get oodles and oodles of data that comes out. So just saying, like. What's changing when I've done this? Like being able to talk to the model like that, um, I I would find incredibly helpful.
3: I like it. great answer. Great answer to your own question. Well done, Amos. Um, I am going to close, before we close it out, I recently had an episode where we talked about transmission and I closed that episode with FERC for a day, which is uh, like a variation on like a king for a day or queen for a day. I'm going to ask each of you, um, if you were, PUC for a day, and you could implement one planning policy uh, across the the whole US, um, understanding that PUC is only for a state, but whatever, you're you're the national PUC for a day. What is the one power planning policy you would enact as PUC for a day? I'm going to start with you, Rick. What's your PUC for a day?
0: Yeah, this one's easy for me. Um, So, I would replicate what uh, a couple of commissions have already done, but really uh, starting with New Mexico a few years ago. Um, and that was a, a project that uh, Anna and I worked on after that ruling. And that really is where the PUC, you know, we talked about transparency, the PUC mandates transparency. So the PUC says utility, you've got to share your model, you've got to share your model data, right? So it's not just enough to have the model, you also got to have all the whole setup, the database. Um, you've got to share that with, uh, with stakeholders um, and you either need to share it with them so they can run their own scenarios, or if they don't want to bother with that or they just want to ask you to run some extra scenarios, you've got to run extra scenarios for you. Um, I think that just goes a long way. You know, in in the case that we did on the uh, in New Mexico a few years ago, Anna and I and a team of other folks put together a whole portfolio. We put together a scenario that was different from the utility scenario, and the commission, because we had used the same exact tools as the as the utility, the commission was like, "Well, this is just as reliable, just as good as the portfolios that the uh, utility put together." But we like their portfolio better, and so they actually asked the utility to implement our portfolio. Um, and so, I think having that level of like transparency uh, would just be would really change the game with power system planning and really, you know, just up the that stakeholder process that, that Anna talked about, it's just a much more robust stakeholder process and a rich stakeholder process. If, if the stakeholders come to the, to the table with the same, same tools, uh, as the, as the utility. Mm
3: -hmm. Regulatory standard for transparency. That's your, you see for a day. Anna, what's yours? Yeah.
2: Um, it's not easy to pick just one. And, uh, I 100% agree with Rick. (laughs) That would be fantastic. Um, The one that I would pick, though, I think actually relates to the demand side. If I were the PUC for a day, I would institute um, a third-party administrator for demand-side programs in all states. And the reason for that is because we work in a lot of states in which the sort of fealty to sales equaling revenue has really... um, meant that there's been little to no effort to implement energy efficiency and demand response programs and um, as we get into electric electrification in particular you know with this the specter of increasing loads i think that is a huge mistake um, and i'm i don't see a way to kind of change the paradigm around um, the sort of incentive and the ambition to implement cost-effective demand response and energy efficiency without taking it away from the, the portfolio of monopoly utilities. Um, so that's what I would choose to, to focus on if I were the PUC for a day, so to speak.
3: Third-party uh, administrator for demand response. Did I get that right?
2: That's right. Yeah. Okay, and, and energy Amaz. efficiency.
3: And energy efficiency amaz what's yours puc for a day understanding we as public power should probably not comment on puc policies but we're going to do it anyway amaz what's your PUC for a day <laughs>
1: you know um so honestly being i'm obsessed with what the cost of the energy transition, uh, the impacts of the cost of the energy transition on our most vulnerable populations, and so that's why I, I, I am I'm um, researching like public goods and, and 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 so what I would do is have my utility require the utilities to conduct a study evaluating the um, the pros and cons of treating the grid as a public good. Um, because that's that's something that I, I feel like people should should actually know.
3: Awesome. Thank you, Amaz. I'm gonna give mine, which is just a slight tweak to my answer last time. And that is universal child care as a regulatory asset, because <laughs> child care is work that <laughs> enables all other work. And if you are a parent. In today's like, pandemic times, you know that the work of childcare is disruptive to all your other work, including power planning. So universal childcare as a regulatory asset, and we should all be, you would free up so many resources and so many, like so much energy, thought energy around how to the logistics of childcare uh, and that to me is a policy i would institute so that's all the topics we're covering this week uh, before we close it out with anna's closing thoughts i want to thank all of you for participating rick do you feel valued and appreciated
0: i feel so valued and appreciated paul thank you to you and Almaz for having me on the show it's just a real pleasure
3: thank you i hope it was fun yeah, thank you. anna do you feel seen heard valued and appreciated did you have fun
2: I did, yeah. No, this was great. I really enjoyed talking with all of you. Um, yeah, hopefully we get to meet in person one day.
3: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Amaz, do you feel valued and appreciated this week?
1: Always, yes.
3: Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Public Power Underground is a production of News Data and Seattle City Light. You don't have to be subscribed to News Data's weekly newsletter to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. Now we're closing out with closing thoughts from Anna Summers.
2: Uh, So the energy transition uh, requires participation from all levels of society, you know, in ways that we haven't seen previously, at least that I haven't seen in my career. Um, It's a much more interdisciplinary effort. Um, It requires us to think through not just the technical aspects of transition, like reliability and power system operations, and, you know, some of those other sort of quantitative things that we've talked about, but also how those systems relate to people. Um, How do people participate in their energy economy? And how do we harness um, enthusiasm for this transition in a way that that propels that change? Um, These are, I think, really difficult and and broad challenges and opportunities, but I think we can um, position ourselves well to take advantage of them and to address them when we come to them with a sort of creative, transparent and can-do you know, attitude and approach. And, and so that's the message I want to convey is that, um, yes, these things are hard, but there's a lot of good work that we can do and a lot of good people who want to be involved in them. And uh, I'd love to see um, you know, more creativity and more um, uh, sort of can-do attitude um, around how we think about transition and, and how we um, address some of these these difficult problems. Um, so thanks for having me on the show. It was great.
1: started in hard times to bring us all in into the laughter through thick and through thin for public power
2: enthusiasts without and within roll on enthusiasts roll on
3: Public Power Underground is a production of Seattle City Light and News Data. The views expressed are our own and not the official views of Seattle City Light, Tacoma Power, News Data, or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is electric utility and electric utility adjacent topics from a power department's perspective. Today's episode was written and produced by Paul Dockery and Amaz Nagesh, and it's edited and published by the stellar team at Pioneer Utility Resources with sound mixing by Lucas Smith and video editing by Brendan Delzer. If you are interested in having a podcast edited, published, or produced, please reach out to our friends at Pioneer Utility Resources. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiast, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Guillory and Ian Bledsoe. You can find Public Power Underground on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please share with electric utility enthusiasts like us and give us a rating or review on your app of choice if you enjoyed the content. It helps other energy enthusiasts like us find us hello power underground for electric utility enthusiasts hello power underground it's work to
2: watch.